I'm sure, like me this morning, we've uh, had a taste of heaven, isn't it? Uh, just worshipping in these wonderful songs, some of them familiar, they've endured down through the ages, just uh, our expressing of something of the greatness of God, but also the greatness of knowing God. So good to be together with you again this morning, really enjoyed being here at Honey Ridge, and uh, Looking to God again as we continue to look at the next chapter, uh, or the next part of chapter 9 of Hebrews. So won't you turn please in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 9, and the second half of that chapter reading from verse 15. Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, and since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive, therefore not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the Lord had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with the blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly waiting are waiting for him. Just so far, let's just once again pray. Lord, we remember this morning uh, the scripture we read, that if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain, our faith is in vain. But Lord, we know that you have been raised from the dead. And as we come together this morning and have done so in worship, in song, in prayer, in fellowship, we come, Lord, to a living Christ. And so as we turn to your word, we pray that you would open this word to us, lead us, encourage us, grow us, we pray, more and more into the likeness of Jesus. But seeing again this morning something of the tremendous prospect that we have in that which you have given us in him. And this we pray, Lord, that you would be exalted, that you would be glorified forever and ever. Amen. 
Well, I want to begin this morning by introducing this message, by telling you what I experienced, and no doubt you also have experienced in recent days. I think we all appreciate something of the blessing of uh, cell phones and uh, the convenience of having a cell phone, but I frequently uh, received or received text messages and emails urging me to contact a certain person at a certain address by a certain date to lay claim to millions of rands. Have you, have you had that? And, and they don't seem to end. We get them again and again, and, and somebody has in their last will and testament, I'm told, uh, left me a huge inheritance. Well, I must confess, years ago I opened those emails. A little bit greedy, I think. You know, life is difficult, and we all hope one day to get something from someone. And, uh, but I've learned. I've learned that uh, that kind of promise has no substance. So nowadays, I'm sure you do the same, I delete the text messages and emails that come with these kinds of promises. I think my response would be different if I had a call from FNB Trust, especially if I just uh, lost a relative that had lots of money. I would eagerly want to listen. I'd like to hear what they have to say to inform me that I've been named as a beneficiary in that person's will. And so I don't think anybody here this morning would deny the blessing of receiving some kind of bequest. How much more? That's what we're going to look at this morning. How much more of a blessing to be named as a recipient of an eternal inheritance? That's going to be our topic this morning. Believers identified, named as those who will receive from God an eternal inheritance. The very first verse I read, verse 15. Therefore, now speaking of what Jesus has done, he is the mediator of a new covenant, and there's the purpose clause, so that those who are called, those who are believers, may receive the promised eternal inheritance. And I want to begin this morning by just uh, elaborating a little. My very first point is I want to speak of the inheritance. What, what is this inheritance? Is this some kind of obscure teaching in the Bible or is there something uh, that really is of great importance and value to us? What is at stake uh, for you and for me in terms of this inheritance? What is it that is being bequeathed? Should we bother? Well, the Bible doesn't have one or two, but many references regarding the inheritance believers have in Christ. Just uh, some sample text verses that I could share with you. Uh, the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians in chapter 1 verse 11 says, In Christ we have obtained an inheritance. Also writing to the Colossians in chapter 3, verse 24, knowing from the Lord you will receive an inheritance. Well, I wonder, 
wonder if you ever give thought, what, what does this inheritance look like? How will we experience? What will we experience in this uh, bequest that awaits every single believer? Again, just a, a sampling of verses going back to the end of the Bible to Revelation chapter 21, uh, verse 4. Here's a brief, beautiful description of what we will experience in receiving this inheritance. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Life will be very different. The troubles of this world will be behind us. An entirely different, magnificent experience in the very presence of God. Jerry Bridges writes, he says, God and man will dwell together. That, that's the nature of what we will experience. Everything will be made new. The bejeweled city, the new Jerusalem will be our residence. The river of life will issue from God's throne. The healing tree of life with 12 kinds of fruit will grow there too. There will be no night there because the eternal light of the Lamb will fill the new heaven and the new earth and shine upon all the heirs of God. So in a single word, the inheritance is heaven. That's, that's what God has in store for us. Life in the immediate presence of God. It is the sum total of all that God has promised in salvation. Now I'm going to go a little bit further and, and, and uh, take a few minutes to examine uh, the Apostle Peter speaking also about this eternal inheritance. He gives us some glimpses into more specific detail of what we can anticipate in the prospect of this particular uh, bequest. And so Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 4, an inheritance, then he describes it, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Let me just touch on each one of those aspects. It is an imperishable inheritance. Now, I've been around in ministry a while. I suppose I'm, I've lived life for a few years now, so I've seen people inherit uh, sometimes fortunes but very sadly I've also observed those very same people squander what they had been given and for a few years living in the lap of luxury but then suddenly being thrust back into having nothing that which had been given that which was of great help that which gave a hand up but over a course of time simply disappeared, was wasted, spent, and sometimes even lost. Dear friend, what you can anticipate as a believer, that which you will obtain in Christ is not subject to corruption or decay. In fact, think about the earth. Everything around us, everything on this earth is in the process of deteriorating decaying, rusting, falling apart, things tending toward a state of disorder. Isn't it true? 
a car that you bought new, enjoying that just for a few weeks or months and then beginning to discover deterioration, whether it be rust and then after many more years uh, uh, further falling apart. Jesus teaching on the matter of spending one's life makes the point that in heaven, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, the investment, the treasures in heaven are such that neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. That, that's the kind of inheritance. It's also an undefiled inheritance. So I'm currently living on my own. Uh, my wife passed away sadly a year ago. Uh, my daughter has got married and another daughter uh, is studying elsewhere and two sons already married some time ago. So I buy a loaf of bread and guess what? It doesn't last, it lasts too long. So I leave it in the bread and, and it, it goes green. So every time I pop in a slice of toast now, I check around the edges just to make sure it's not green because it has become defiled. That's what happens. The very nature again of of, of, of this inheritance is that it would be free from anything that would be degraded or debased or deformed, nothing, nothing at all like what we see on earth. And even in terms of morality, in terms of the kind of thing that we see happening in the world, imperfection and depravity and that which is degraded. And, and so we know, we, we know and we understand in this world even the most beautiful things in this world are fraught. Flowers die. Beautiful flowers die. But we are told over here about this inheritance that it's perfect. And it will always be perfect. As Christ is truly perfect. He is holy and blameless and pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, and our inheritance will also in him be holy and blameless and exalted and pure. No earthly corruption or distortion or weakness can touch what God has bestowed on those he has called. Revelation 21 verse 27, nothing impure will ever enter the new Jerusalem nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. Thirdly, it is also an unfading inheritance. Have you noticed colors fade? Over time, they fade. And so it's hard for me, I would imagine hard for you to imagine any experience, any uh, exposure that does not fade, even excitement, the anticipation, the experience of something significant, the experience diminishes, the experience fades, uh, the value depreciates. Not so the inheritance in store for us. It has a glorious intensity that will never diminish. God himself can never be impoverished. God himself can never become poorer. And so that which he gives, he gives with continued quality and intensity. And then fourthly, it is a protected 
inheritance. I immediately uh, thought back. Uh, anybody at Haney Ridge had investments in the UBS bank? I hope not. Because you know what happened there? Uh, all sorts of uh, looting took place. And in fact, more recently I've read uh, that over in the United States, the Sil Silicon Valley Bank has also gone belly up. People investing perhaps uh, life savings, uh, that which they have accumulated, perhaps that which they've been given, and now they've lost it. Well, Peter tells us that the believer's inheritance is reserved. What the believer has in Christ is being kept in heaven for us. Your crown of glory has your name on it. And so, folk, we enjoy much goodness here on earth. Even this morning, as I've said, we've had a taste of heaven in the singing, something of a glimpse of the magnificence of worship. But that which is to come, our true inheritance, our true home, is reserved for us in heaven. And so like Abraham, we ought to, and I hope this morning you are encouraged, we ought to be, we, we should be looking forward to that city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. We know too that the Holy Spirit guarantees that the believer will receive the eternal inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So that's the one side, and that's perhaps the first point I'm wanting to relate to you this morning. But I want to move on and, 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 and show you that knowing, yes, the inheritance is, is, is a wonderful thing to anticipate. It's part, but it's only part of what this passage is revealing to us. When we're dealing with bequests, even here on earth, it is necessary for us to dig a little bit deeper, and I want us to consider in the second place the related parties. Who's involved? What's going on? Now, i remind you of what I've uh, gone through in previous messages in the Old Covenant. Remember, God said, I will if you will. That was the Old Covenant, the way it was set up. God gave undertakings of blessings, that which he would give with conditions attached. God required perfect obedience to his commands. God required absolute submission to his will. God required exclusive allegiance in worship. Now immediately when I say that, I'm, I'm sure you know and you, you feel, well, I fall short, falling short of the glory of God. And so the reality is failure to adhere to the conditions of this perfect obedience and, 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 and exclusive allegiance, it brought about the promises of cursing rather than of blessing, leaving fallible men and women, fallen men and women, now here's the issue, having to face the justice of God. But God promises the new covenant. In it, now God is undertaking, his undertaking is, I will, I will create in you an inner transformation. 
You will change from the inside out. You will take out the heart of stone and replace it with the heart of flesh. You will enter into an experience of an intimate relationship and connectedness with God. Uh, your spirit sensing uh, as the Holy Spirit at work in you, being a child of God, Him being your Father, you being a child. And then providing immunity from the wrath of God, escaping the judgment of God. Now that's good news, that's good news. God giving sinful men and women what they do not deserve. We call that grace. But having said that, there's wonderful news in the new covenant on the table, but there's a problem. There's something that, that, that's missing. There's something that we need to grapple with. And the glaring problem is that justice must be served. All these generous gifts from God cannot come unless justice is served. So even under the new covenant, the debt of sin to God, humanly speaking from our side, is an insurmountable obstacle, but we cannot ignore it. God who is holy and righteous, God who is just, the very nature of God is such that he cannot just look away. Sometimes people say today, but he's a God of love. He'll just look away and he will ignore and he'll just, no, he can't do that. There's some things God cannot do and, and he cannot compromise his holiness. He cannot compromise his justice. He cannot not take notice of rebellion toward him. That which happens in our own lives, in the world around us. God sees this. The disregard for his person. People who are blaspheming the name of God. People who are domesticating the name of God. Making him or seeking to describe him in their own image. Cannot ignore that. Cannot ignore the disobedience uh, of any of that which he has revealed as his will. He cannot ignore the corruption of the design of creation and the defiance of many who have his name. So, so this rebellion and this disregard, the corruption, the disobedience, the defiance must be and will be brought to justice. Not only will justice be done in every respect to every offense against God, but let me also say this morning, rest assured, if you are someone who feels you've been unfairly treated and an injustice has been done to you, you need to know that every single circumstance of injustice, even amongst people, will be faced. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 30, the next chapter tells us, we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. We live in a society today, I don't know how much you're aware of this, but there's, there's, a, there's a, an outcry for justice. The world crying out for justice for those who are victims of gender-based violence and, and uh, justice for those who have been murdered or inflicted some kind of painful uh, hurt or those who have been stolen from or those who have been looted from. And, and yes, justice ought to be carried out. But what we need to recognize is, as the Bible unfolds, 
The justice of God is not ever applied selectively. Every perpetrator of injustice to man, to us, but also to God, we need to hear this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And so it is therefore crucial to come to terms as, as we study this passage this morning, as we consider the inheritance, the prospect of that inheritance, how God justly resolves what we would consider, humanly speaking, insurmountable problem between the parties, a holy God and sinful men and women. How does he do this in the new covenant promise? And he, and he does so, and, and we see this in the unfolding of the passage in the new covenant, by making use of the illustration of a will. So we're going to look now for these next minutes at how he does this by us looking at this uh, that we're quite familiar with. In my, one of my drawers in my desk, I have copies of family members that have given to me copies of their will in envelopes. And the instruction to me is, when I die, open up the envelopes. So I've never opened them. I just stashed them away. Maybe I go first and they open mine. I'm not sure. But, but the point is, as long as the will writer is alive, nothing happens. The will has no legal force while its author is still alive. But as soon as the author dies, everything changes. The dictates of the will come into force. So it is by the death of the testator that the will is carried out, and we're going to see here in this particular illustration, revealing a message regarding the grace of God. A couple of things I want to elaborate on regarding the illustration of a will. See from the word of God this morning something about God that you ought never to forget God is exceedingly generous. He is exceedingly generous. Making use of the will as an illustration, I think, is helpful because in the new covenant undertakings, we've already seen the undertakings are one-sided. There are no conditions in place. It is God who says, I will, I will give. Stuart Olliot makes the comment, he says, the new covenant is not so much a contract between two parties as a donation, at least as far as we're concerned. God generously giving to people that which they do not deserve. Giving an eternal inheritance, giving that inheritance I'm sure you've come across either in a novel or perhaps even in your circle uh, an angry parent saying, I'm going to disinherit my child because they didn't do what they should have done or didn't behave in a certain way so that they're written out of the will. Well, we are disobedient children. God made us in the first instance, belonging to him. And we have uh, disobeyed him and defied him and, and, and he still gives generously. 
See the difference in the nature of God? Well, what about justice? Well, the death of the testator reveals a second message about God. God is uncompromisingly just. So we see the generosity, but justice also in place. Have a look at verse 15. Therefore, he's a mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Now, I don't know about you, but when you read this passage, there's a lot of blood and guts. Am I right? It's blood, blood, blood. It's, it's all over the place. And, and so it's not hard to see that, that blood and death are dominant in this discussion. And in fact, if you go back in the Bible to the very beginning, as far back as Genesis chapter 4, remember when God rebuked Cain for murdering his brother Abel? Blood was the symbol of life. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. A little bit later as we move on, the angel of death, remember, takes the life of the firstborn in Egypt for those who have blood on the doorposts, they are passed over and they live. Again, reading in Exodus chapter 12, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And where I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so what, what then is the relevance of this verse? A death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions. Well, the relevance is this. Justice must be served. Justice has been served. It has been served by substituting one life for another. So the legitimacy of carrying out the dictates of the will in distributing the inheritance is dependent on, verse 16, the death of the one who made it must be established. God has consistently required that justice be done. It is the pattern throughout the Bible one life for another. It's a consistent requirement. Again, as we read in our passage, uh, verse 18, therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. There's the detail. Every commandment of the Lord being declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. A life for a life. The same way he sprinkled the blood of the, uh, with the blood, both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And we know the scripture. I've heard Baptist people uh, quote this verse frequently. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. A third point, God, exceedingly generous, uncompromisingly just, justice must be served. But thirdly, God is eternally satisfied. See, the Lord Jesus, our covenant head, covenants with the Father, even in eternity past, 
that he would save sinners, us sinful people, by living for us and also dying for us. All that he promised to secure for us becomes ours by his death. His perfect life for our sinful life. Let me apply, apply that in how that touches us. The death of Christ has occurred in the past. That we remembered on Friday. But we ought always to remember. The death of Christ has occurred in the past so that redemption, he redeems the beneficiaries from their transgressions. Justice is served. But what about the present? What about today? From that day onwards, on the Sunday when Jesus was resurrected, from then on into the present time, since the death of Jesus, since the resurrection of Jesus, and don't forget his ascension, and there's another word we use, his session, his busy serving at the throne of, of the Father in heaven with a sufficient and efficient sacrifice for all beneficiaries. Verse 24. So the resurrection comes into this message this morning. Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, not on earth, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly. Don't have to do this again and again and again. No, no, no. As the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own, for then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Be aware that Christ serves your spiritual will. It is well with my soul. We sang it this morning. Why? Only because he is serving, presenting this sufficient and efficient sacrifice, serving justice, able to therefore bestow with generosity the gift of forgiveness and inclusion into the family of God. But what about the future? In the future, at some point in time, we don't know when that will be. Each one of us will have to face God and give an account of how we live our lives. Verse 27, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. But instead of the prospect of condemnation, that which we deserve, instead of Fear awaiting the believer in the future. Dear friend, you have prospects. Prospects of safety and blessing and eternal inheritance. God's wrath has been eternally satisfied. Justice has been served. Verse 28. So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Isn't that great? It's wonderful. The wrath of God 
completely satisfied. One last uh, point, a short point. I just entitled it the, world, the world's greatest bailout. The letter to the Hebrews, to remind you, is addressed to wavering believers. Considering these Hebrew believers were considering the option of turning their backs on Christ and going back to Judaism. And so the author repeatedly shows that the life and work of Jesus is the far better option. Today, the focus has been on promised inheritance, that which is awaiting every true believer, not needing to fear, but to be encouraged as a bailout has been provided for sinners. Now, we South Africans understand bailouts, isn't it? South African airways. Bailout after bailout after bailout. I think Eskom is still receiving bailout after bailout. But the point is this, those bailouts, I think they've run into billions of rands by now, are nothing compared to what Jesus has done for sinful men and women. So I want you to see this morning the bigness, the greatness, the surprising nature of his generosity. In the new covenant sacrifice, this better sacrifice, Jesus paid it all for undeserving rebellious sinners. And so to conclude, our passage is very clear this morning that this eternal inheritance and bailout is for those who are called and those who are eagerly waiting for him. And like those early Hebrews, the challenge is always to be making the right decision, making the right choice and we understand the Spirit of God at work, and I trust and pray that in the preaching of the, I love what Jeremiah, uh, how Jeremiah describes the, the, the word. He describes it as a hammer and fire. And so maybe this morning, some hard hearts have sensed something of, of the hammer breaking this heart of stone, or the fire uh, uh, bringing about the reality of, 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 of the truth of the gospel and the generosity of God and the forgiveness of sin. But the point is you have to make a decision. You've got to decide, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You've got to be deciding, yes, it is true, I am a sinful person. I am someone who does not deserve the generosity and grace of God. I have no right to an inheritance in heaven. Unless you admit your sinfulness and you see your need of the Savior. And then, of course, those of us who do believe, what prospects have we not got? Amazingly, God gives this great gift that we anticipate even enjoying something of a taste of it in this life. And so at the Honey Ridge Baptist Church, May God continue to bless you and to keep you. And those beautiful words make his face to shine upon you as he unfolds more and more of the greatness of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray to that end, individual men and women and young people to see, to understand, to believe and to receive, Lord, this great gift that you have given to us undeserving men and women and children. I confess, Lord, my own fallenness, my own, uh, Lord, being in a position of not deserving among others yet today, but Lord, 
the flood of your grace, the abundance of your goodness. We thank you for, as we rejoice in that, in anticipation for the future inheritance awaiting us in heaven. Amen.